You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Let's have a quick prayer and uh, get into the Word. Amen. Father, again, thank you for bringing us together this Sunday. Thank you for Renee's story that we can remember the cross and remember that now, today, right now, it's still changing people's lives. And God, we need heart change. Massage our hearts. Convict our hearts. Encourage our hearts. Help us see Jesus. Help us see how you're working in our world. Help us see and plug into your big plan. God, use us. Continue to uh, strengthen your church and strengthen our families and our singles and our campus and our teens. We're so grateful for our time to worship together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, Tanya, sorry, can you run my little reader glasses up to me here? Old guy might not be able to get through his sermon without his reader glasses. This is a passage. I want to read this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Vanna White. Look at that. Wow. Impressive. 1 Corinthians 15. We've been doing a little series on wisdom in the book of Corinthians. And I love this passage. This passage really caught me this week. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. That's us. Then the end will come. Listen to this now. When he hands over to God, uh, when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So Jesus died a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. Listen to this passage. What's Jesus doing today? Who's trying to destroy evil today? Yeah, on three. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Who's going to destroy death? One, two, three. Yeah. Now, if you're like me, I get stressed out every day. Every day, I worry about my own life and all of its issues. Is your life kind of messy? Yeah, so is mine. And how many things in your life do you not have an answer for as you sit here today? Lots of them, right? And I hate those things. I want an answer. 
I want to know. If I got an answer, even if it's good or bad, then I can prepare. You know, if I know my family's going this way, okay, I can get ready for that. If I know my family's going that way, I can get ready for that. But I don't know which way it's going. If my career's going this way, I can get ready for that. If my career's going that way, I can get ready. But I don't really know what's coming tomorrow. If my finances are over here, okay. If my finances are over there, right, dads, okay. I'm in a major, students, right? And I don't know if I'm in the right major. Yeah. We've got our students, so you got to be, you know, we do, what's your major? And they, they put on this act, it's beautiful, of sheer confidence and conviction as if you know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to be an engineer, and I'm going to do this, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to work for these people. I'm so excited. My resume's coming together. I got an internship. We're so happy for you. It's impressive. But you know you're not really sure, but is this really what God, is this, do I really like this? I'm in history and I just keep falling in class and falling asleep in history class. I'm in finance and I hate finance. I'm in finance and I'm in debt. I'm in pre-med and I'm always sick and I don't like touching people. I'm doing sports kinesiology, but I hate working out. Right? You're going to have things like this, and you're going to really scratch your head and go, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's not bad. I don't know is not bad. Because we know that somebody is working for us and working in the world against evil, our big enemy, and working in the world against death. And if we can trust that he's really doing that, that Jesus is really working today, it takes a lot of pressure off of us. Because guess what? You might, right? Marrieds, marrieds in your dark moments, you you struggle a little bit. And you've wondered, did I really marry the right one? Yeah, I got a little few amens on that. It's okay. It's a hard one to amen. (laughs) And you'll stress out. Just thank God there's somebody in the world that's willing to love you. Instead of, did I pick that? God, thank you that there's somebody in the world that's willing to love me. That is, thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry. They're all the same. They're all the same. Kind of means the same thing in this regard. But again, let's read that. The big picture, in the big picture, the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Can you picture this? I just want to be there. I hope it's at the Rose Bowl, and I'm at the 50-yard line, you know. And there's Jesus, and somehow in his hands is the kingdom of God. And there's the Father, and he's meeting the Father, and he's, which, right, we're the kids. And he's got all of us in his hands. And like on the cross, maybe he's going to say something like, it is finished. Which means what? 
He destroyed all authority and all dominion and even death itself. And he says, God, right? Here they are. Here you go. That's our story. That's how our story ends. We're going to be there for that. So I get that today is stressful. I get that today is stressful. But we're going to be at that event, and that's going to be incredible. Amen? And so I'm going to talk a little bit today about this passage and a little bit about what um, I learned from the Philippines last week and sort of uh, what it means to me and, and hopefully a couple encouraging, convicting thoughts for us. I want to start us off with a video that we put together from our Servcation 2017.
uh, it was so cool to have the drones there. I was like, we've got to have, like, drone wars. We'll have uh, these little drone wars. The brothers did a great job. We did those two houses. You could see the houses. I mean, we're building something with no plumbing and no electricity. But, you know, it's great, right? Suffering always gives you an opportunity. I'm a guy that can barely change a light bulb. And they give me a hammer and saw and paint brushes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get here. But uh, it was great. So anybody can do this, which is really encouraging. I thought one of the really neat things is uh, for them, it's all men that are doing sort of manual labor, the physical labor of building the homes. You saw Laura Ann. We have a lot of our women hammering and sawing, and a lot of the Filipino guys would sort of stand back and look at us like, you know, do you want us to step in there? No, 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 no. Let those girls, let those girls wail away. And, you know, we had some girls just, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. It was just great, great, great to see. I want to remind us, we're there in that area of the world because three years ago, the storm, super storm, um, Typhoon Yolanda or Haiyan, uh, went through this area, supposed to be quite a bit larger than Hurricane Katrina that hit here in New Orleans. And it just, you know, you could see how everything is built. It just absolutely destroyed just about everything that was there. And this is how most people were living three years ago. And it's a good story. In a good way, a lot of relief people showed up. Red Cross and UNICEF and Oxfam and lots of nonprofits were there. There was, there was lots of nonprofits that we'd never heard of before. And they did a lot of good, a lot of cleanup and a lot of rebuild. But now today, as we sit here today, there's really just the Hope Clinic that's there full time. And we sent a brother, his name is Miggs, and um, I shared this on Wednesday night. We, we sent him to go help with the cleanup, sort of emergency. Can you be on the spot? Uh, can you be there for six weeks? And here we are three years later, and he's still there. And he's just done a remarkable job uh, loving these people and helping do great work in this community. And I want to remind us of this passage. Jesus went through villages teaching, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, these people, he had compassion on them because... They were harassed. They were helpless. You know, that's not just the state of these people. Obviously, you lose your home and you almost die. You're going to be harassed and helpless. But people in West L.A. are just as harassed and helpless. We've got all kinds of storms in West L.A. We've got all kinds of storms at Culver City High. We've got all kinds of storms at UCLA and Santa Monica College. We've got storms at Pepperdine College. We've got storms... Uh, in in our high tech area over here in Playa Vista, we got storms in Santa Monica. We got storms in Westwood. We got storms in marriages, serious storms. We've got storms in addiction, depression, anxiety, serious storms. And the answer in Don Bantayan is is Jesus. The answer here is the same as Jesus. Now it looks a little bit different, but it's still the same answer. And you and I are needing to hear his voice, respond to him amongst ourselves, and be able to respond and engage out in the world with this kind of response, a response of compassion, somebody that cares. You saw suffering this week. 
did you care? How much did you care? At the very least, when we see suffering, stress, we should at least pray. Amen? We should at least pray. There's a lady at work, and her hair's all discombobulated, and she's having a tantrum because things aren't going her way. She's really stressed out. The least I could do is say a quick prayer for her. Right? And it'd be great to go one step further and try and talk to that person, right? Students, we see people all over campus every day that look alone, that look depressed, or that look impressive, but we know it's just an act. Do I care? Do I care about that person? Usually we don't think about it because we're so lost in our own heads. We're worried about lunch and we're worried about our shoes and we're worried about how many likes we got on something that we just posted 10 minutes ago and we're worried about does somebody like me or not like me and we're thinking about a hundred other things and do I have enough money and do I have enough of this and do I have enough of that and what Jesus is calling us to is to care is to care enough to talk is to care enough to stop somebody amen look at this passage I want to read this here in Romans chapter 9 flip over here to uh, sorry Luke chapter 9 in Luke chapter 9 Sorry, thank you. Matthew chapter 9. Jim, James, my assistant. I appreciate that. I'm going to start in verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came to, and knelt before him said, My daughter has just died. My daughter just died. But come and put your hand on her, and she'll live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Okay, right? Just pause there before we get to what he does. Somebody touches him, and, and he has the capacity in the midst of a crowd, in the midst of a busy schedule, in the midst of something really pressing upon him. Somebody's just died, and he's going to somebody's house to resurrect them. I've never done that before. That seems stressful. And somebody touches them in the crowd. It could have been anybody. And I love this passage. It's such a brief little thing. It says, and he turned around and saw her. Right? This is about attention. He's able to turn around and see you. And I think lots of times we think Jesus is so busy and it's this big world and there's so much suffering and I've never lived through a storm like that. Why would he care? Jesus cares deeply about you. And at any time of the day, he will stop and turn and recognize you. And he knows your pain. He knows your suffering. He knows your stress. He knows your question. He knows your doubt. He knows it all. But I love this. He'll stop and pause and turn. And this is hard for us. We all got a checklist and we got a busy thing. And whoever gets everything done on a checklist, nobody. 
And so we run through our days harassed and helpless and trying to play catch up and save a buck and make a buck and get a grade and do a thing. And we got to be able to stop and recognize and turn. That's what makes Jesus really special. His ability to stop and turn to somebody that's suffering. Somebody that's stressed. And he still goes to the house and raises the dead girl. It's sort of, the that's the big miracle of the day. The one that gets overlooked is this one. His ability to stop and turn to this woman. Where is your attention? When do you stop and turn? What does it take for you to stop and, and, and pause and recognize? And maybe it's somebody that's, again, stressed or suffering right in front of you. Maybe it's husbands and wives. Lots of husbands and wives talk to each other in other rooms while they're watching TV and texting. And there's never this stop and pause and recognize him. Stop and pause and recognize her. Parents and children, we do this all of the time. And we're talking and get here and go there. Yeah, Mom, I know it. you already said it five times. Okay, Dad, you know, da-da-da. I know, Junior, you got to listen. It just you gotta, When do we stop and pause and recognize each other? This is Jesus' ability that really is special to stop and turn and recognize that there's somebody in front of them. And everybody's got, again, their own stressors, their own suffering, their own struggles. You have yours, and they matter. They matter greatly. They matter to Jesus. And it's important because your stresses and your struggles, they shape you. They shape you. And we spend lots of our time asking, Lord, why the pain? Why the struggle? Why the uncertainty? Well, if you read the book of Job, you understand suffering's going to always be a part of your life and mine. It will always be. Until Jesus destroys death and dominion and all authority, which he hasn't done yet. We're going to wrestle with suffering and stress. And we're going to ask why and why and why. And what God tells us through the book of Job is, you know, lots of times you're not going to get an answer for why. And we'll ask, we'll never stop asking why. Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? And half the time you're not going to get that answer. I struggle with this all the time. God, I don't even know if this is a test from you or a temptation from the devil. Have you ever been there before? That's a hard one to know. Because if I knew that it's a test from God, okay, then I don't know. I'm going to respond in a certain way to that. It's a test from God. If it's, a t- if it's temptation from the devil, and again, that's a no. Okay, well, that's easy. That's like Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You just run. But that's hard to know. Am I being tested? or be- I don't know. But I've got to be able to stop and recognize my own stressors, my own pain, your stressors, your pain. That's where he's trying to get our hearts to. That's what these things do for us. The most amazing fact about Jesus, unlike almost any other religious founder, is that he found God in disorder 
and imperfection. And told us that we must do the same or we would never be content on the earth. I think that's really important. We usually complain about disorder and imperfection. I know I do. You know, you, you order a meal, you order a sandwich and you don't get the sandwich you want. You're going to complain. Hey, sandwich guy, you didn't, you got the wrong bread. But Jesus is great at seeing disorder and imperfection and being able to recognize, oh God, this is the God moment. This is where I pause and turn and touch and make a difference. And so that area in your life that's disorder and imperfection, that's your God moment. That's where he is. I want you to embrace that moment. I want you to breathe deeply and ask for a little courage and take that one on with a lot of strength and compassion. That's what's really important, I think, for us today. Luke 13, 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for how long? 18 years! Have you ever gone to church for 18 years and never been healed? Have you ever gone to church for 18 years and the prayer was never answered? Have you gone to church for 18 years and begged and begged and begged and it's still the same, the same, the same? A lot of us have done that. Some, a number of us have done that. A lot of us, we pray for something 18 days and it doesn't go good and we sort of give up. 18 years. Bless this woman, man. She is a remarkable. She doesn't quit. She, she kept going to church. I might have quit. 18 years. And maybe you've been waiting 18 years. Maybe today's your day. Or maybe today's your day. You just don't know. She had no idea. Her life's full of uncertainty. Crippled and bent over. Do you think she had a husband? I say no. Do you think she had kids? I doubt that seriously, right? No. And where's, what's her job? What's her career? Probably nothing. Probably nothing. She probably lives from some handouts from her family. She probably still lives with her family. Alone, with very little value and very little meaning in her life. And she just keeps going, and she keeps going, and keeps going, and keeps going. And finally, she runs into Jesus, and he touches her, and she stands up straight. And her life is totally different. See, the storm has been remarkable. It's changed that whole community. The palm trees, they grow back like overnight. They're like weeds. And all the grass comes back, and, you know, it's pretty, it's really something. This is Miggs. This is the guy that we sent up there for six weeks that's been there for three years. This guy's a single dad, and um, he does a great job trying to be a father to his dad. And he's leading this church while he's working for Hope. And he does this a lot, just takes care of kids. He's got a remarkable schedule. They go out in the middle of the night, and they set nets, the fishermen. They get up early. They go to meetings, they work on houses, they work with the kids, he does something for the church, have a meeting. Uh, Miggs not only is the preacher, he's also the worship leader. So he's got a little ukulele, he's playing, he's playing songs. You know, he's going to remind you of the circus guy that's got the tambourine on his head, and a drum, and a guitar, and a harmonica, and he's singing, and he's got a monkey over here. They asked about Jesus in Mark 6, where did he... Where did he get such wisdom? What are these miracles that he has done 
with his hands. What are these miracles that he has done with his hands? I love that passage. What about us? What are, what are our heads and hands doing? Miggs taught me a lot. Um, this girl, Natalie, uh, she's from Phoenix, and she was over there just loving these kids and volunteering. Someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? What, how is your life going to be raised? What needs to be raised in your life? We all have things in our life that need to be raised. We all have some rubble in our life. Amen? Some of us are struggling with sin. There's a lot of rubble. Sin, sin causes a lot of rubble. And something needs to be raised in your life today. Some of us have serious doubts, real doubts. A lot of us, when we become Christians, I want, to be, I want to go to heaven, I want to get saved. But then 5, 10, 15 years later, we have some real doubts about the Bible, about ourselves, about God, about the church, about life, about whatever it is. But these always sort of reside in darkness inside of us. Something needs to be raised again in you. And lots of times, this is how we do it. This, this, this young girl really taught us again a lot. This is Winnie. And Winnie's a remarkable girl. She, they, her, she lived with her family, and when the storm came through Don Bantayan, their house was totally destroyed. Shortly after that, her parents divorced. Shortly after that, her dad left and went to another island. And her mom remarried. And the, the new dad wouldn't let her in the house. So now she's about 16, and she is on her own. And Hope's got a little house for her to live in. And from 16 on, now she's almost 20. She's putting herself through college, and she's learning to be a teacher. And she's always over here at the clinic. She's one of the volunteers. Now, if my parents divorced me, divorced each other, and then divorced me, <laughs> and threw me out on the street, basically... I wouldn't want to be going to the boys' club to help out with the little kids. That's me. I don't have that kind of heart. I'd want to be robbing liquor stores and shooting guns. I mean, that's just what anger does to you. I'd be burning things down and I'd just be mad. So I just watch her like, how do you go through that and be happy? Are you really happy? How do you go through that and be happy? I think she's really gone through a serious resurrection. She's got real hope in her life. She's going to be a teacher. And uh, she's helping these kids. And her life has meaning. And she's got a little home to live in. This is from Richard Rohr. Sorry, this is from Richard Rohr. We don't think ourselves into new ways of living. You don't sit there and just go... Well, let me think about how, what this all means. And we do this. It's okay. We need to analyze. We need to, self, we need to reflect, be reflective. But, but at a certain point, analyzing and being reflective doesn't do a whole lot. You've got to go do. And that's why she's so impressive to me. She just goes, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to help people. And she's experiencing this great resurrection, Winnie. And she just has been a revelation. And so I just felt like I learned so much from Miggs and Winnie about touching people, about turning and recognizing. We talk a lot about mindfulness. Mindfulness, I'll tell you what's at the key of mindfulness. And it's not really 
we think of mindfulness and associate it with Buddhism, it's as Christian as it is anything else. Mindfulness is the ability to pause, recognize pain, whether it's in yourself or somebody else, and respond with compassion. Mindfulness, pause, recognize suffering, pain, stress, and respond with compassion. And usually when I'm stressed, my reaction, again, is to get angry. Angry at the world. Angry at myself. Angry at God. Angry at the kids. Angry at the dog. Angry at traffic. It's so fun to get angry. I get a lot of energy out. But Jesus doesn't do that. It's that ability to pause and turn and recognize and then respond with compassion. And that's what he's trying to teach us again. That's what these people showed us. Okay, let me finish my thoughts here in 1 Corinthians 15. The body that's sown is perishable. You have things in your life that are still alive that need to die. And you bury them. The body that's sown, that's perishable. It's raised up imperishable. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. This is Jerry Jordan, who's 81 years old. And uh, we all had our eyes on Jerry. You know, you spend most of your time with these kids because the kids are just, um, they're like chocolate. You just want to eat them all up. They just uh, are irresistible. But we all were watching Jerry. Jerry, you're 81. Why are you here? <laughs> I thought Jerry was mostly going to be napping in the hotel. Jerry was out there every day with us doing this stuff. Playing with kids. He went to the home build. He's hammering and brushing and painting. And again, it taught me a lot. I just thought, i got to be more humble. When I'm 81, will I have that kind of, do I have that kind of heart today? i got to do that today. Look at Jerry. He's just playing ball, hugging kids. Um... What a, he's just a man. He's just being a man right there. I'm like, Jerry, you are really a man. Because he knows there's real resurrection, and he's experienced real resurrection in his life. Most 81-year-olds aren't doing this. I want to be 81 and be able to do this. Last week, Chaz preached, And he gave us some good practicals about church and the body and what's going on in the body. And I just want to remind us, a little spatial repetition. He said one of the important things about having a good experience in the church, Christian living, Christian living, is courage to speak. Amen. Courage to speak. I think that's a I think that's essential. A deep unifying love. Right. What's the point of being here if we're not going to love each other? That's right. Deep unifying love. And convictions that don't quit. Right? I love Jesus' last words. They mean the world to me. It is finished. And we all have work that's not finished. We all have work that needs more resurrection. And I I just want to remind us of those points. I don't want to add a whole lot of extra points to that. I think those are great points. I think those are great practicals. Am I really speaking up? Why aren't I speaking up? Do I not have courage? Am I ashamed? Am I 
am I compromising? Am I allowing a lot of darkness? Am I allowing a lot of confliction in my life? That's not good. Ask for courage. Pray for courage and speak. Speak the truth in love. Deep unifying love. You're not going to have a real Christian experience without a deep unifying love. Deep unifying love is great because that's not just about I'm in love with God. Deep unifying love. And the Christians that can be difficult at times. Christian parents, Christian spouses, Christian teens, Christian campus people. That's what it does to us. It unifies us. And our convictions, again, with a lot of uncertainty can create doubt. But we don't quit because we know at the end... Jesus is going to destroy dominion and power and death. And if I know that's going to happen, then I don't need to quit. So I want to ask you, Jesus, is he alive today? Yeah. Yes. Well, where are his hands? Where are his feet? Where is his body? We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his body. Christ, there's no, he's not here today. But he's here today. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. You're the eyes through which He looks with compassion on the world. You're His eyes. You're the feet with which He walks to do good. You're His feet. Uh, A researcher, a biblical scholar, thinks that Jesus may have walked upwards to 30,000 miles in His life. That's just a lot of walking. It's 3,000 miles from here to New York City. That's just a lot of walking. You're his feet today. Where do your feet go? You're the hands through which he blesses the world. You're his hands. What was he doing? He's always touching lepers and demon-possessed people and diseased people. And if you're like me, you get a little bug funny and you see diseased people and you sort of go, wow. You should go see Francine. She's a doctor. And you can put on latex gloves and a little mask and get a lot of iodine and antibiotics. And I just feel safe behind all that stuff. That's us. We're in the first world. But Jesus touched everybody. We're his hands. Church, you've got to touch. Who are you touching? Husband, wives, that should be us in a good spiritual way. Parents, how are we affecting our kids? How do we touch them? You know, again, one of the things I loved about Migs, we're driving around, and just kids all the time, he's like the Pied Piper. They're always jumping in front of the car and waving at him. He's kind of like the mayor. I'm like, Migs, who are all these kids? And he's like, ah, nobody. And one of the guys in the back goes, when there's nobody in the car, Migs stops. He gives these kids, he just drives them all over town after school, drives them home. That's such a simple little thing. But when you're really busy, can you stop and turn and do something simple like that? That affects people. We're His hands. You're the hands. You're the feet. You're the eyes. You're the body. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. That's from Teresa Avila. I love that idea. And so, 
I want to close with this thought. Marriage in 2 Corinthians 5, right? It's the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. First things first. First things first. Your own spirit. God, if you're studying the Bible, you're visiting, you're trying to get right with God. Everything else in life, everything else in life isn't as important as getting right with God. And if you know right now, boy, I'm not in that right, you've got to get right with God. Get into the Word. Walk with brothers. Walk with sisters. Get yourself right with God. Get your head, get your heart right with God. A lot of us Christians, we're Christians and we're battling along, but we still know my head, my heart needs some adjustment, needs some tuning, need its own touch. That matters. That matters. You're hurting. Jesus, stopped. He knows. But that means you've got to stop and be open and repent and get real help in your life. You've got to be able to do that simple thing. If you don't do that, then nobody can help you. And this week's going to be a lot like last week, which was a lot like the week before. And we're about change. Christianity is about change. It's about becoming more like Him. Hey, if heaven's the goal, amen, and we know Jesus is going to conquer death and all the power, then, then we don't have a lot of serious work to do. we just got to grow and become more like Him. That takes a lot of pressure off in a good way. And so, let's do something in home. Spouses, husbands, do a thing this week that your wife would think of as loving. Amen? I thought I'd get a little more amen from the wives on that. Right. That you haven't done before. That you haven't done before. Don't go to the go-to. Oh, I know she always likes Twix bar. If I bring her a Twix bar, she always loves that. She always thinks that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. You, need a, you need a new one. You need a new one. Wives, in a new way, in a, in a way you haven't done before, a, a new way of sort of recognizing, hey, Joe, I see you working. I respect what you do. That means a lot, right, guys? thought we'd get a little amen on that. Yeah. Hey, thanks for working hard for us. That goes a long way. Oh, yeah, you bet. Yeah, you bet. Guys, we need a little bit of that. That's good. Women in a new way. Kids in a new way. In a new way. How do we make home a little bit better? You know, a little more initiation, a little more help with chores, a little more good-spiritedness, right? I know you get lectured a lot. We, Sorry. Just do something good. Just do something good. That's all you got to hear. Do something good at home. Mom and dad will love it. Right? Singles. Miggs is 40 and he's single and it'd be hard to be in the church and go, all these guys get married at like 16 years old. They all have four kids by the time they're 20. And I'm 40 and I'm single and what am I going to do? I'll never forget this. You got these guys singing and one of them's married, Herbert, and he's singing. And Miggs is studying the Bible with a married guy, Herbert, that's got three little kids. And this other guy, Luis, he's sort of serious. I'm like, what's that guy's story, Luis? He goes, oh, Luis. Well, he killed a guy and is, was on the run. He went to jail. And he's just trying to put his life back together. And, um, you know, I met him, and he helped us build a home. And then we studied the Bible. He became a Christian. <laughs> that's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. It's just like passing. Migs, that's a great story. That should be a book. And you said it in, in a minute. Singles, the impact that you can have here is remarkable. What are your gifts? 
What are your gifts? What's your sweet spot? Finance? Cooking? Serving? Sharing your faith? Um, organize, I don't know. What's your sweet spot? What's your gift? Singles, find your gift. You're going to be happy when you found a gift that you know is from God. If you sing, if you know you can sing and you sing, what's that feel like? Yeah, that's good. That's good. You found your sweet spot. And you know it. Singles, find your sweet spot and throw yourself into it. Throw yourself into it. Campus, Ministry of Reconciliation. Throw yourself into where you feel your heart being called to. This is a time you open wide your heart and let God just throw yourself out there. Trust me, there's a lot of needs. God, you might not end up in Don Bantayan, but God will land you in a great place. You need to be good-hearted and open to where He's going to throw you. That's what it means to be minister of reconciliation. Teens, you think you have no voice, but remember, be a voice, not an echo. Be a voice, not an echo. You've got Your voice matters a lot. And you're part of the same ministry. Make your home great. Make your school great. Find out your sweet spot, your gift. Use it greatly. It matters. We've got Winnie's in our group that are going to make a great difference in our church. And I think if we can see that Jesus is, has been resurrected, and we are His hands, and we are His feet, and we are His eyes, what great life for us. And so let's be committed to each other and committed to the world, helping it, and trusting that death and all dominion is going to be destroyed by who? Jesus. And if we can trust that, amen. Amen to the church. Amen, brothers and sisters. We're finished. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.